Hey everyone, uh, welcome to the Oregon Libertarian Podcast. This is Will Hobson. I'm joined by uh, Peter Vandenberg. Peter, how are you doing? What's going on? Just back from Dallas, feeling pretty good. I think we could have called this uh, episode Oops. Inappropriate Measures. Sure. But... All right. Well, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Um want to talk about uh yeah start off with just measure uh 111 or sorry 111 um yeah uh, i think we can we're probably all pretty much in agreement on this one probably vote no um we don't think the state should be in charge of providing uh health care uh to people because they'll screw it up royally um don't know if you uh, had anything specific on this one. I don't really have too much on this one. I think this one's pretty obvious. I mean, separation of state and healthcare seems very important, especially in the light of the last two years and this plea for amnesty that I guess everyone's talking about on social media these days. But yeah, let's uh, let's keep the state as far away from healthcare as humanly possible. Yes, I agree. I really see the the more, uh, you know, even if they were somewhat competent at providing health care, let's just say, um, I would fear that the more control they have over it, the more control they have over your personal life and saying like, hey, you know, we can save a lot of money if we tell everyone to do X, you know, like you can't eat that, you can't drink that, you can't, you know, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of things that will come with, uh, you know, an increased state-backed healthcare system that I think a lot of people don't understand, and they already meddle in, you know, healthcare quite a, quite enough to, and are really the reason why it's uh, it's really unaffordable. You know, uh, insurance is not a good way to pay for things that are uh, reoccurrent and, and inexpensive. Um, I mean, I'm right now I'm looking, uh, you know, this is going to be kind of a free ad for them, but I'm looking at this place right now called the Canby clinic. Uh, and, um, they're on a, pers- they're on a subscription service and their, uh, monthly fees. So basically they're, they're like a primary care provider. Uh, they provide, um, you know, like minor surgeries, um, you know, uh, you know, prescriptions, you know, blood draws, um, and doctor's visits. They do all of that for a monthly fee of, if you're, you know, a young adult, 18 to 30, it's $60. And if you're, um, 31 to 44, it's 80. And if you're over 45, it's just, it's $105 a month. And try, try to compare that to, uh, you know, normal insurance with, you know, co-pays and deductibles and, you know, all these other little fees that pop up, you know, this, I feel like that's a pretty competitive, uh, you know, pricing structure. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, everything with the health insurance system we have now is really, it really goes back to the third party payer problem, where if the person that is not actually paying for the service being provided, that is being provided for a third party. There's like every incentive. Uh, I mean, college education, I guess, is the most blatant example of this, but 
costs are going to continue to rise. I mean, it didn't used to be like this. And like every employer in this country is incentivized like financially to offer health insurance to their employees. And just the further the consumer gets away from actually paying for health care, the more expensive it gets. Absolutely. And, you know, one of the things I think a lot of people don't understand is that healthcare, uh, you know, insurance companies are actually incentivized to uh, increase the costs. And a lot of people would be like, well, wait a second, that doesn't, that sounds counterintuitive. Why would they, because they're the ones that have to pay it, why would they want the costs of their health, of healthcare to go up? Well, the reason why is that they're uh, restricted by law that they can't make over a certain percentage of profit off once they, you know, uh, when they provide a service, you know, or or when they um, give out a service. And if that is, if that, um, but if that number is higher, they make more money. So instead of like, if you're, if you can only make 10% off of, uh, you know, a thousand dollars, that means you can only make a hundred dollars. But if it's two thousand dollars, and you're still like only restricted from making ten percent, well, but then you made two hundred dollars. Yeah, so no, I totally agree. Some I mean, really perverse, if I could just read the measure uh, text, just see how vague it is. It's, it's kind uh, of insane. For, it's to uh, ensure that every resident in Oregon has access to cost-effective, clinically appropriate, <laughs> and affordable health care so, as a fundamental right. Like, what does that even mean? I mean. I don't know. Or clinically appropriate. Right. And, and well, what's their definition of healthcare? Like, uh, what is included? Yeah. I mean, who gets to decide what medicine it's a hard is no on that or not? Yeah. It's, uh, it's quite, yeah, it's quite, uh, Quite uh, not uh, not what we want, uh, I guess. Uh, I don't know what, I, what word I was reaching for there, but uh, uh, we have a caller. Yeah, hard no on on measure uh, 111. Uh, so we have a caller. I'm going to take uh, Crunchy. Uh, go ahead, Crunchy. What's up? How you doing? Uh, thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um. I wasn't sure if you were taking calls, but I was just wondering, like, um, what country has the best health care? Like, which which country or has – what country has a good health care system out there? Or what state – maybe it's a state or something. I don't, I don't know. Like, what – where – I'm trying to think what countries, like, has really good – like, the kind of health care that, like – Whatever, like this kind of politics, like this libertarian, like this idea, like what in that idea, like what would be in what country out there, like has that kind of good health care or whatever? It's probably sure really good health care. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I would. So thank you for uh, calling in and uh, asking a good faith question. I appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I yeah, personally think that. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, if you put enough money at things, eventually you start to, you know, reap, you know, some rewards from them. But I, I definitely think that here in America, we 
are heavily burdened by our uh, a lot of different things, a lot of different systems that are in place kind of simultaneously. We're heavily burdened by the military industrial complex. Uh, we're heavily burdened by our inefficient and kind of schizophrenic healthcare system where it's trying to, it's trying to stay capitalist, but at the same time, it's trying to go in more of a, you know, a collectivist, you know, uh, route at the same time. And it's, and the, it's becoming very, you know, I, I don't know, I guess the word is like scatterbrained, very, uh, corporate, uh, or, uh, it, it's basically it's serving higher interest powers and it's not and it's providing less and less and less and i think it's the fact is that we're you know uh, i think a country that's already wealthy that isn't you know you know spending you know trillions on you know their their military probably has the financial wherewithal to um to stomach, you know, a, a relatively large, you know, uh, publicly funded healthcare system. I think it's, the, and they could have some good results for, for quite some time. I don't think though, on the long, on the tr long run, it's going to work out that well, because I think government bureaucracies become bloated over time. Um, I, I think that, you know, and I, my, my wife is, uh, also has, has some kind of like socialist tendencies. She, she's definitely for state run medicine and we get it. We've kind of come to this agreement that, um, whatever we have in the United States is probably pretty close to the worst possible outcome. <laughs> so, um, I, I personally believe that, um, if you allow, uh, you know, if you allow people to make voluntary transactions and exchanges, eventually you start you you start to you know the market eventually begins to point to like okay, this is the most efficient way to do something, and prices come down. Um, you have more competitors who are you know who are trying to outcompete uh, in the free market. They're trying to provide a better good, a better service. They're you know it's just like with flat screen TVs. You know, um, something that isn't taxed very heavily is not really, uh, it's not really, the government isn't, you know, involved too heavily in, you know, subsidizing, you know, the acquisition of technology for uh, people. So they, um, it, uh, the prices have been allowed essentially to come down over time. Uh, but with healthcare, with something as important as like, you know, your life is on the line, I think governments are definitely incentivized to want to provide solutions for that because it you know it pulls really well with voters um but and, and definitely I, I can see too that a lot of people think like hey you know the government has all this money all this power we can uh focus it at this industry that does so much good why wouldn't we do it but the the problem is is that we are be our healthcare system is becoming very inefficient very uh very cronyist, uh, very corporatist. It's not, uh, you know, you, you can't just like open up a hospital there. There's a, you know, certificate of need laws basically restrict how many hospitals you can actually have in a, you know, in a given, you know, urban area. Sorry, just real quick. And to so that, directly answer your you know, question. that right there should tell you like, um, yeah, oh, there is no there's some things in place here that are, that are here to serve, uh, you're correct. you know, the patients. They're, uh, they're Will and I serve, are both anarchists, you know, so we are describing interests. a system anyway, that is different um, than we have now. Yeah, um, sure, go ahead. I think that the less government involved, the better. Getting the government out of healthcare entirely is preferable.
And uh, again, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Gregor's uh, calling in. We're going to take this call and then we're going to try to move rapid fire uh, through uh, the measures because we do have a guest coming in. Um, so go ahead, Gregor. What's your question? Uh, we can't hear you, Gregor, if you're talking right now. Yeah. Do you want to unmute your mic? Possibly. All right. Well, we'll let uh, Gregor uh, figure that out. Uh, we're going to move on to uh, Measure 112. Uh, amends the Constitution, removes language, allowing slavery and involuntary servitude as punishment for a crime. Uh, well, we're no, against right. slavery. I was a bit confused by this one but, and um, wasn't really sure what I, they were going for. I feel like me and you both kind of uh, are of the agreement that the language in this is really poor. Is, am I wrong on that? I, mean, I think this is a trick, I guess. And I mean, I, honestly, I wasn't really sure. I, I was like 50 50 on this oh, one. Yeah? Well, what did you, what somebody did you told me that this would actually create a loophole that actually increased slavery in the incarceration system. Yeah, no, I mean, like, how how it's worded, it's, it's sound, you know, it's not words like any form of involuntary servitude is hereby, you know, abolished forever, you know, and, you you know, convicted, you know, criminals must be given a choice uh, whether to serve time or to serve their, um, you know, to serve, you know, in some kind of labor capacity. Um, you know, I like that. I mean, I'm okay with that. Is That's an option, I guess. You know, if you're already incarcerated and now you have a the liberty to decide whether you want to work or want to, you know, so I guess to be honest, cell, I, I skipped this I guess one. So I'm I, not against I, that, but like if you're you know forced to toil for you know and you don't have any other recourse, I, I'm I'm not pro that, and it doesn't. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> There's a lot going on this election season. Uh, yeah, um, yeah, I'm going to vote no until, cause I don't want to vote yes on this. And then everyone thinks we've, we've solved this problem. Um, I'm going to vote no, and I'm going to try to find out who, like, I'm going to try to make, I'm going to try to hope that uh, a new measure that comes up that, uh, that actually bans slavery outright is, uh, is introduced. Um, yeah, I think we're right to be I, suspicious of this I'm language against slavery, it is but I don't want very some, I don't want to, uh, something to be put in place that doesn't actually get the job done, and, and then everyone thinks that the job is but done. The next one is very clear. Goes hard back. now. Yeah, it is not clear. The void for vagueness, I guess, is the the term. Uh, yes, it is. Uh, 113, uh, amends the constitution legislators with 10 unexcused absences from the floor sessions disqualified from holding next term of office. Uh, I'm a big fat no on this one too. Uh, I don't, yeah, I don't think the, uh, when you elect a legislature, that is like essentially an extension of the people. If we all believe in democracy, we're going to operate under that, you know, system, uh, 
and me and Peter definitely have some skepticism democracy, <laughs> if not all outright, you know, uh, uh, hatred of it sometimes. Uh, w w you have to, that has to be something that the people, you know, that elected that person have, you know, um, have jurisdiction over. You can't just be like, well, oh, actually, okay, well, we're fired. I think there's something a lot of people have missed on this. And it's that, like, no, that's, um, in that's 2020, the that's the people's representative. You just get the unvaccinated fire can people fire that were their, elected representatives uh, be present for not, a lot of meetings, some, a lot of you. votes. And they could use this in other cases to just prevent people that they don't like from being present at meetings. Oh, yeah. That's true. Yeah. Specifically, and the COVID nineteen vaccine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, that that's another good reason to say no. No on this. Uh, no on one thirteen. That's true, everybody. And the next one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I would be kind of. I'd still be against it, even if it was another vaccine. <laughs> but. Um, so, uh, and then 114 uh, requires permit to acquire firearms. Police maintain permit firearms. Against all gun control, legalized machine guns, legalized tanks. Legalized, uh, of course, uh, we're going nukes. to be, as libertarians, um, we shall have our own no F-15s in order to um, defend ourselves against the Peter, government. Peter, do you want to talk a little um, more on this one? I guess I, I remember, like, somebody tweeted something that said, like, one reason yeah. why you need to have an AR-15, and I just responded as the Mises account, to stop you from taking my AR-15. <laughs> yeah, for for sure. Um, I mean, even Karl Marx was, uh, you know, for was for you know. Uh, you know, the freedom to own firearms under no pretext. Well, will the, uh, and I'm paraphrasing, but it was the, will the, um, will any law that prohibits the, you know, the owner, the ownership of firearms by the people or something be allowed, you know, or, or but at, yeah, uh, there's so many political, it's for the most vulnerable members of our society uh, across the spectrum to be able to defend themselves that, with you know, firearms. firearms should not be restricted. And yeah, it's, it's for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> um, exactly. Yeah. And after, you know, again, after the last two years, seeing some of the heinous things the governments have done in Australia and, you know, uh, you know, other countries, you, you know, like you wonder, like, yeah, I don't think maybe a, big chunk of society was ready to rise up in arms against their, their government. But like just the presence of those firearms probably does a lot more to, you know, stay the hand of these authoritarian governments than. Yeah. Than, I was unsure so on the, uh, the one is, about, I think it does kind of slavery. Work as a it was worded weird. So I didn't vote on um, that one. I could be yeah. wrong about that one. Uh, Open so to yeah, it, but basically no vote no on everything.
Right. Yeah. If somebody came with me, well, I, I like to entertain the idea that I could be wrong about anything. So if anyone wants to like debate me on something and like provide a new uh, perspective or a new way of approaching something that I'd never thought before, I really appreciate it. And I'll, I'll, I'll take it. But I, um, so far, I, I feel pretty strongly about uh, all, all of them, with the except, yeah, with the exception of the slavery ones, a little, little murky. But yeah, vote no, voting no yeah, on things is true. usually almost always Oppose like a, most like a good new rule laws of thumb. As you'll, a you'll, general most rule. of the time, you'll be, <laughs> you'll be right. Anything, any new uh, things that are added are usually bad. So, <laughs> at least in, in Oregon, um, oppose most new laws. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you'll 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 more often be right. Um but uh yeah, um I'm not seeing I mean I can entertain the guests, crowd if you want to try to give him a call. Uh, in the chat. We were gonna bring on Dan Pulju uh to talk about foreign policy, but he doesn't appear to be here. Um Uh, no, that's okay. Uh, with, with calling, it just kind of shuts everything off. And if I, uh, if I go out of my screen on my, I'm actually recording this on my phone. The microphone on my phone is the best one I have right now. Cause I can't figure out this. I've got this really nice microphone set up and like, uh, screen and like a stand for it. And I've got a sound mixer thing. Uh, but I, don't know what I'm doing with audio equipment and I I've got to get someone in here to like physically show me how it, it is works. unfortunate we can't get Dan on and research I mean, it, but I could never get talk a little bit about really the new stuff that the public policy board so, oh, also here could Dan comes there we laptop go. that I'm using that's like eight years we'll old we'll talk about so. those resolutions <laughs> next week or seven years Oh, there's Dan. Okay. Want to give him an intro? I guess while we're yes, waiting. Yes, there are some very nice resolutions. Okay, we are inviting Dan on to speak, and we'll give him a moment since I think he's a call-in newbie. So, yeah, sure. Uh, uh, Dan Pulju is actually running for you. I think we met Senate. him, right? Uh, he is one of the candidates. The picture looks in familiar. Oregon yeah, I think we met him in Salem. Uh, he is with the Green Party, but we like Dan, uh, despite his greenness. Yeah, yeah, we've met Dan. Yeah, we we when we were, when we were forming the uh, Parties of Peace thing in uh, twenty twenty one, uh, he was there, and we got to meet him in person. And we should uh, I should put some more work into that. Um, a lot of different anti war groups are wanting to. Uh, do some really good work, and I think we can all, uh, yeah, find a way to. I don't want to say centralize, but maybe you know, put our efforts, you know, kind of in the same direction, kind of like what the Libertarian Party is doing. Uh, and Dan, if you could go ahead and unmute your microphone. Okay, here I am. My there audible. he is. All right, thanks for coming on, Dan. Yep, thank you. I'd like your listeners to know that if there was a libertarian running, I wouldn't presume to, uh, to uh, you know, I interfere. Uh, am I oh. on still? Yeah, yeah, if you could talk a little bit closer to your microphone, that'd be great. Okay, how about now? No, that's great. Thank you. 
Okay. Yeah. Uh, again, I wouldn't presume to like uh, involve myself in, in your politics if there were a libertarian running. And it's unfortunate, I guess, for your party that, that I, I'm not sure why and what happened to your nominee. But anyhow, I am running on a, a primarily a foreign policy platform opposing our wars. And uh, uh, we did, uh, just so your listeners know, we did uh, have a collaboration a couple of years ago with anti-war elements of both the Green Party and Libertarians. Yeah, yeah, and uh, it's definitely something uh, I've talked to some of the higher-ups at the, in the uh, Libertarian Party, very higher-ups, and uh, they are interested in continuing uh, work on that on that front and, and building coalitions, and I'm really excited about that. Um, I think... Uh, I think people would like a different paradigm in uh, in American politics where, you know, instead of, uh, you know, this constant, you know, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, major parties. Two party yeah, yeah. System. But kabuki feeder of like, oh, the Democrats and Republicans, they hate each other and like, you know, and it's it's all at war against them. It's like, nah, you know, I. Behind closed doors, I'm sure they're best buds, and they have to be to like work together to pilfer the taxpayers and fund the military-industrial complex. Like the the amount of graft and corruption that the system is capable of. The only way this works if they're if they're secretly friends. <laughs> yeah, well, they're not just secretly friends. They're both they're they're both just representatives of that what you just mentioned, the military industrial complex along with the other many corporate captured elements of, of our bureaucracy. This is a, this is a, a, our bureaucracy, our bloated government, and this may sound strange coming from a, a green that people associate with Democrats, but big government is not good. Uh, this is, it has been taken over by these elite big money interests that have got nothing, no interest at all in, uh, in the welfare of the populace or the rights of the people and this has been going on for decades and we need more than just coalitions we need the people themselves to actually find the motivation to be able to stand up and do something about it because it is the majority i'm convinced absolutely that the majority of the people are just fed up with the two-party system and that's basically what i'm running on yeah so one of the ideas i've thought of and i do have to be careful a little bit with my language because i i I am. I do have a fiduciary responsibility to support the Libertarian Party and make sure we have as many elected candidates as possible. Right. But I, I see that the best way to achieve that goal is to is to work in these coalitions where we can, you know, lower the 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 temperature, you know, everyone's political rhetoric, and be like, hey, there are a few things we all really agree on. Uh, you know, outside of electoral politics, like, like, just like policy. And like, I think we could all pursue these in tandem in good faith. And then once you, once you do that, I really think, um, people's perspectives change. Like, uh, uh, when I was working with free Oregon these last couple of years, uh, there's a lot of conservatives and there's a lot of Republicans. Um, yes. The, the, the last two years yeah. have, have created just a broad like front of people that, that, that didn't used to work together before. Yeah, no. And, the medical and, freedom movement. 
and and it's really it's really cool when you see that and you you see you know when you work with someone for a while they start to see you as like oh you're not my enemy you're you're just you're actually someone I like I just I disagree with uh, some things with like intellectually but like I, I know you're a good person because you work with me on this one issue like but and, and then they usually become interested in like the things that you're really good on you're really knowledgeable like oh hey what about this you know subject so-and-so like I, when I worked at free Oregon, a lot of people were asking me about foreign policy stuff. People would text me privately. I'm like, Hey, uh, what's going on here? I don't really understand it. And I'd be like, well, it's, it's caused by this and this, and this actor is doing this. And you know, like this thing that the news is saying is, is a lie or it's a, like a gross distortion of the, yeah. the truth. You know, like uh, you really become a, a a lot of trust gets developed, and I really think trust is the currency of politics. People realize. If I could just also like that... interject real quick, Dan. Sorry, um, it's it's not just that, but I mean, in the last couple months here, we should realize that people like Glenn Greenwald and people from the far left are really some of the main people helping us out with this avoiding World War Three thing. And let's remember that Julian Assange is not a libertarian. Julian Assange really came from no, the left, and yeah, it's, it's probably it's still a leftist. All so. politics and ideology at this point, right? And, and, and a lot of the the rhetoric that is used by the left and right often stands for the same thing. The left will talk about human rights; the the right will talk about freedom. But there's there's so much overlap, and it's basically the same thing when it comes to to opposing our government uh, acting the way it has been. For, well, pretty much forever, but especially the past two or three years. And you mentioned nuclear war. Uh, that's Pete Vandenberg. Yeah, it's me. Right. Okay. Yeah, you mentioned nuclear war, and that that that's something that the people got to wake up to being real. Now, it occurred to me about a month, maybe or so ago, that it, the Cold War has been over for such a long time that people people that are under thirty five years of age, maybe forty, don't really understand the vibe of being uh, targeted by a massive nuclear arsenal. It's not, it's not something to, to play around about, and it, uh, they, they don't really realize that, and it, 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 people seem unconcerned, really unconcerned that we're in this proxy war, which this would not really have happened back in the 1980s. No one would have gone this far to just be, uh, well, Afghanistan was kind of, but it's a lot more direct now in, in Ukraine and a lot more dangerous. No, absolutely. I I I think what is is not realized is that you know the the concept of mutually assured destruction is that when you know the the how a nuclear war will very 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 likely go off is that um a like a, a nuke will get fired or all of them will get fired at once and then the response that of the other side isn't going to be like well one nuke is getting fired. I guess I'll only fire one nuke back. They're going to be like, oh, they're coming for us. Time to, you know, time to take them down with us. It's like, yes. and that is going to be the mentality of any large scale nuclear conflict between two large nuclear powers is going to be. And this has already happened, right? I mean, I remember episodes of the Scott Horton show. I don't know specifically, but there was a time, I think in the late 80s, when like somebody very high up in the Soviet military thought, that the U.S. was launching a strike against Moscow, and they consciously decided to not respond, and we were lucky. Right now, we have a president 
who I don't believe would even be fully aware or cognizant uh, to the point of being able to, to reverse the, the Cuban Missile Crisis. At least Kennedy was able to, to and Khrushchev were able to, to walk things back from disaster. And I don't think that we have a government that is competent to handle a crisis on that level. Yeah, no, uh, it's uh, it's all very scary. I feel like, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, it was before my time, but I, I, I've seen the, the Daisy ad, you know, uh, where, you know, where they, they tried to scare the populace with nuclear war and honestly probably need more of that. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't think people quite grasp the pain and suffering, just like I don't think they, they grasp it about war in general, but I don't think they grasp the pain and the suffering that they are flirting with uh and you know and potentially the destruction of complete destruction of humanity like it's we have more than enough nu nuclear weapons to wipe out the human race several right. times over even and this is even after we've massively uh reduced our nuclear stockpile across the world since the cold war yep so we need we also know go so go ahead dan well, we need new strategic arms control treaties and that we, we allowed those to expire. We allowed all the safeguards that we had before uh, George W. Bush decided that he was going to abrogate the, uh, the ABM treaty. And uh, weapons development has gone to this point, has gone way so far beyond that, that uh, you know, the Russians now have uh, they've adapted their their ICBMs or their missile technology to be able to evade air defense anyhow. And the, the last few years of the modern warfare has kind of shown that air defense systems can be affected, but they're never, they're never close to 100% anymore. And that's become yeah. especially, especially true with the drone warfare. Now where it's, we've almost entered like an age of drones where you, you start putting nuclear bombs on drones and there's just absolutely no way. So again, it's back to, you know, mutually assured destruction is where it should be because it is an unthinkable weapon to use. And it's really aggravating that we've had these elements in our government and elsewhere that have decided since the Cold War ended, like, well, we're going to start looking for that nuclear advantage again, repeating the same mistakes that led to the Cuban Missile Crisis in the first yeah. place. But Dan, we can't just let a nuclear power roll through Eastern Europe just because they have nukes, right? Uh well, as much as we might not want to, uh, we can. Yes, unfortunately. And that's, you know, how to deal with that kind of rhetoric, Will. Uh, it's, it may score political points for people to say, well, we got to go intervene. We got to go help people. But that, that's a classic uh, propaganda angle is to say, to justify uh, what our government is doing in terms of its, its hegemony by saying, well, we got to go help people. We got, they're saying that about Afghanistan uh, in, in particular. We got to help Afghanistan now that the Taliban has took over by, not, by, by stealing their money and not giving it back. And somehow that's going to help them, the, them to, the Afghan women from not having their rights uh, trampled by the new government. We had to help Iraq to get rid of Saddam Hussein. These countries don't really need our help, but the voters, you know, American voters don't really pay all that much attention. And you can't really blame them for that because you know, 
people look out for, for their own interests. They look out for their own pocketbook. And so that's why this, uh, the Ukraine war, because of the fact that the economic sanctions have had this blowback and aggravated our economic problems now, inflation and so forth with the supply shock, that is actually getting people's attention. And so I think that is the big opportunity with with this election. And I think I'm hoping that there's going to be a lot of votes cast that actually show awareness of this and realize that we don't need to be intervening in Eastern Europe. We don't need to be uh, intervening in any anywhere else. And people are, are kind of starting to realize that it's just bullshit uh, all the talk. I hope this is not FCC, but all the talk about uh, our humanitarian reasons the pretexts for these interventions is just nonsense. Peter, were you about to say something? I mean, no, I was just going to say, like, going back to what you were saying, Will, I mean, how we are supposed to just let Russia roll through Eastern Europe. I mean, that that's not going to happen, obviously. Not, well, yeah, I mean, they're not looking. Russia has, Eastern like, one-tenth of the economy of, okay. like, it's basically the same GDP as uh, Italy, I guess, from where I was heard. So, it's it's number 11. And hopefully everyone understood I was being sar- or sarcastic and kind yeah. of being a devil's advocate. So I know I just, we didn't really get to that part of it, but like we're constantly told that like Putin both can conquer the world and he can't conquer Ukraine at the same yeah. time. He so, can destroy it, but yet he can't hold it. Yeah. I, I think is what yeah, the, the thing we need to kind of drive home is like, like, yeah, he's capable of destroying the world if he so choose, so chose to, but like he can't like hold it, like he can't expand the the Russian Empire. And by the way, um, when are we going to start like calling ourselves an empire? You know, I, I I said this the other day online that like we're we're the first empire in world history that tries to pretend it's not one. And I I, I feel like that is uh, it it very much describes how our foreign policy operates and uh, how we try to project ourselves throughout the world. I think it's very true. And I guess what I was going to say earlier was, uh, I mean, Glenn Greenwald, uh, his former outfit, The Intercept, told us that uh, there's U.S. special forces on the ground in Ukraine. And we know now that there's a ton of U.S. forces like that are staged in Romania. So, like, how close are we going to get to this actual war? I mean, we were told there were going to be no boots on the ground in Ukraine. We know for sure that there are now. I mean, there's a bunch of stuff coming out now about how the Russians are claiming they have evidence that the British were behind the Nord Stream attacks. And it's just, we're just getting dangerously close to something bad happening here. And no one seems interested in de-escalating. That's the problem with bureaucracy. And uh, bureaucrat, bureaucrat, large bureaucracies are like a collection, like a mob. Dan, can you so, talk a little closer to the mic? Yep. Um, bureaucrat, uh, bureaucracies, large bureaucracies are like a, uh, a mob of tens, hundreds of thousands of people, each doing their own little job and kind of like morphing like a blob toward whatever objective they've spent their entire careers doing. So they're going to be pushing, they're going to be pushing these imperial interests that they think are just, you know, U.S. interests, uh, State Department, whatever, looking out for our national interests, wherever around the world. Uh, they just see it as their job. So they're just going to keep on intervening in Ukraine as long as as long as nobody higher up stops them. And certainly Joe Biden has shown no evidence 
that he's going to to turn around anytime soon. Yeah. Well, just to, just to check, uh, what what kind of news sources do you have about the Ukraine war? Uh, well, personally, I I go between uh, Zero Hedge, Scott Horton, Libertarian Institute, Antiwar.com, The Gray Zone. Uh, you know, obviously, um, the Intercept. Yeah, the Intercept. Yeah, inter yeah. So, do you, do you do you guys have Telegram or use Telegram? Uh, I do, and I have seen some some. I have I did briefly poke around in some channels where they were posting some like they were posting God, they were posting like heinous war crimes that were happening in Ukraine, and I I just couldn't handle like watching that too much of it. I was like, yeah. I had to stop. So anyhow, Telegram is where it's at. Uh, yeah, pretty much. It, it's not all. It, there's a lot of there's a lot of crap. It, it, it's basically a free for all type of, of situation. It's hardly moderated at all. But all the all the primary sources, including both the Russian and Ukrainian defense ministries, and a lot of really good analysts and really good sources for uh, primary sources for for just news about the war, they post on Telegram. So I highly recommend to you. And your listeners to to go look, give Telegram a look. I use a channel called Rebar. It's t.me slash r-y-b-a-r. There are some English language channels as well if you don't speak Russian uh, that give give uh, really good up-to-date information about what's sure. going on. Now, you probably heard, have heard from your sources that the, uh, well, I, I don't actually read Western media much, but I'm sure they, they've uh, been, been talking about the, upcoming offensive in Kherson. Everyone expects a, a Ukrainian counteroffensive in, in, uh, towards Kherson city on the Black Sea coast and the Russians evacuated the city, et cetera, et cetera. That's like the big military uh, expectation in the next one or two months, which is pretty much all that can really happen before the winter. Right. And and uh, the part, the reason for the when when uh, the Russians decided to do their uh, mobilization, uh, raise another three hundred thousand personnel. Uh, apparently, most uh, a good around eighty thousand of those were sent to Kherson. So it's kind of up in the air. E even knowing all that, uh, it, it, no one is really sure. Analysts aren't really sure whether this offensive is going to happen and and how it's going to turn out. Yeah, but, no, it's, it, uh, it's really it, it, it's a commitment. We're we're seeing every sign of a commitment on on Joe Biden and, and Washington and our, our our bureaucracy. We're talking about policymakers more than our military. Victoria Newland, the neocons that, that moved from Bush administration just seamlessly over to the Democrats when Obama took over. Just the meet the new boss, same as the old boss. They're the ones that have been running the show this whole time, and they have an overall overarching goal of not, you know, it's not so much about Ukraine. They just want like, similarly to the Afghan war, they want to break up Russia. And, yeah. and uh, the, the Afghan war actually kind of succeeded at that, at uh, causing the Soviet Union to waste its resources. Yeah. Well, now, I mean, we're throwing, you know, we're, we're trying to drain Russia dry, but at the same time, we're draining ourselves dry, too, by throwing you know, like almost 100 billion at it. So, yeah. And, uh, well, not... and, and giving giving ourselves crazy fuel prices and, and crazy grain prices by just wrecking that we globalized our economy like 
a couple decades ago, outsourced everything, made everything interconnected, and now we're in the midst of what I call a trade war. And I run into people who think it's ridiculous to call it a trade war, but you know, how if you blow up two oil pipelines, and I, I, I'm not saying I know who blew up the Nord Stream pipelines, but it, whoever did was waging trade war, in my opinion. They didn't want uh, natural gas to be flowing through those pipelines. Indeed. Yeah, now, we're, hey, we're, uh, be... we're getting we're getting kind of towards the end of our time oh, uh, here, no, uh, Dan. Oh yeah, no worries. Uh, can you uh, say the name of that Telegram channel one more time? Uh, T.me slash R-Y-B-A-R. B-A-R? Yeah, there's a ton Ryber. of other ones, but it, you, know, you can always translate. You can always translate Russian in a browser. Okay. Cool. All and, right. And well, that's very. Do you have time for me to ask Dan one more question? Well. Yeah. Sure. Real quick. Um. How would you respond to people that are saying, like, on uh, we get this on Twitter like every day, like we're just agents of the Kremlin, we're trying to stop World War Three. Like, how do you feel about that? They say you're trying to start World War Three. Well, they call us oh, Putin puppets. You know, every, anytime we have any criticism of you know our involvement in Ukraine. Uh, I don't know. I, I, I suppose people, you know, I, I ignore people who say that, who, who act like that, because it, it just comes across to me as they're so delusional that uh, there's no reason to even bother with it. But uh, right. let, let's try it. Call me a Putin puppet. Uh, <laughs> darn Putin puppet, you? Well, no, I'm not a Putin puppet. And, okay. And, well, I and, wouldn't. To keep going on it because I I really respect you Dan and I I and also I really uh, enjoyed reading your uh, candidate statement in the uh, the ballot um, the voters guide uh, and uh, hopefully someday soon we'll have a libertarian uh, candidate statement for Senate uh, that can be just as good or better uh, when uh, when we get someone in there so but um yeah I, again. Thank you so much. Uh, it's uh, Dan Pulju. He is the senatorial candidate for the Green Party uh, uh, running in Oregon. Uh, this Having him on is not an endorsement of Dan. I'm not telling you to go to vote for Dan, but uh, Dan's a really good guy, and he knows a lot. And uh, really uh, like and respect you, and, and thank you for uh, helping uh, us out with our coalition, and hopefully we can work some more in the future. All right. Thank you. That's mutual. I like and respect you guys too, even though we're in different parties. Awesome. Great. Well, all right. Thank you so much, everyone, for, for coming. Um, if you if you like my activism, you like to support me uh, keeping on doing what I'm doing, uh, there are a couple uh, links uh, in this uh, the Libertarian Party Oregon room. Uh, uh, if you go to strike.me slash Will Hobson, uh, you can donate Bitcoin or, or, or dollars there. Uh, if you go to buymeacoffee.com slash Will Hobson, uh, you can uh, donate with a credit card there or sign up for a monthly donation if you are so inclined. Really appreciate it. Uh, I am going to be picking up uh, some work uh, on the side here to kind of make it through so I can kind of keep working on my activism and doing stuff for the Libertarian Party and the Libertarian Movement. But uh, again, any little bit helps, and I appreciate you all for listening, and thank you to my co-host Peter for coming, and Dan for being a guest. Uh, we will talk to you all again soon. Uh, oh, cheers! And, uh, one, yeah, and before I say cheers, uh, <laughs> ne uh, next week we are going to have a, I think the Libertarian Party of Oregon is, uh, at least the Portland area is having a um, is having an election night party uh at a buffalo wild wings i think in south 
uh, West Portland. Is that correct? Yeah, it's at the Buffalo Wild Wings and Morrison Street. Yeah, and so if you want to check that out, you want to come hang out with us, uh, we'll be there uh, next week. Um, you can go to lporegon.org, uh, and uh, on the calendar, you can find that event and how to get there when it's happening. And uh, I do believe uh, the Merriam Polk uh, Libertarian parties are also having uh, their own election night a little bit farther south. And uh, I will try to make sure that that information is also on the calendar. And yeah, you can come and hang out with us. Uh, hopefully there's one nearby for to you. But yeah, uh, without any further ado, cheers. Everyone have a great night.